I wanted to show you. Oh, show me. Ted Lasso pop. Oh my God, it's so cute. Little Jason Sudeikis. Little yeah. Ted Lasso it's with the mustache. Whole... Yeah, this came out last year. It was a limited edition. I bought it. Cute. Get my hands on it. They're supposed to come out with a whole line like <gasps> into December. So I'm hoping. You'll have I to want a Jamie Tart and a Roy Kent. I know. I was just gonna say you'll have to let me know when Jamie Tart and Roy Kent come out because those are the two that I would want. Because by the end of this, yeah. they were my favorites. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hey friends, this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, where we analyze pop culture through the lens of race or gender and sometimes both. On today's episode, we are talking about the beloved Apple Plus show, Ted Lasso, with Movies with Mr. Mario. Okay, Mario, I am so glad you're back. We, you are literally the most frequent guest at this point, I feel like, reoccurring. Um, And I am so excited you're here to talk about Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso. I love so, Ted Lasso. Uh, me too. So friends at home, if you if you are new to the show, Mario is a movie reviewer. You can find him on Instagram at Movies with Mr. Mario. And he has been on this show a lot. And um, yeah, welcome back, Mario. Well, thank you. Thank you for bringing me here, especially talking about one of my favorite shows of all time. Oh, I love that it's one of your favorite shows. I had no idea. Maybe yeah, I maybe is. I it's did know. Down. I think I did know. <laughs> I'm just really bad at being like a friend. <laughs> I know. If I would have courted me, it was better. I should have shot this at work because I have like my belief side and my cubicle. I have my Ted Lasso calendar. Ah, I have little so figurines, cute. magnets everywhere. I so love it. My I whole love cubicle it. is decked out. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for this chat then. Because I don't actually think we've ever had a full-fledged, deep convo about Ted. I think we mostly just, like, in passing, have shared tidbits. So this Back is and gonna... forth, yeah. Yeah, so I'm excited. Okay, friends, so if you aren't familiar, Ted Lasso hit Apple Plus on August 14th of 2020. And normally, we hit the Googles for a summary, but I really liked what Variety had to say in 2020. So here it is. Quote from Variety, August 2020. Developed by Sudeikis, Brendan Hunt, Joe Kelly, and Bill Lawrence, Ted Lasso takes a couple shortcuts to breeze past the rather unbelievable premise of even a fictional Premier League club hiring an American manager with zero experience. Having recently won AFC Richmond in a messy divorce, new owner Rebecca wants to get revenge on her cheating husband by tanking the franchise he's loved all his life. If this sounds an awful lot to you like 1989's Major League, you are not entirely incorrect. Ted, always game for a challenge and wanting to give his wife Michelle some space, takes Rebecca up on her offer to become manager alongside his taciturn right-hand man coach beard end quote um and i think that's literally episode one <laughs> so 
Way back when. Way back when. Way back when in the throes of COVID-19, which none of us want to relive. So we're just going to briefly talk about how Ted Lasso came at a time when we all felt more out of sorts, realizing humanity is weird and wondering if we'll ever see kindness again. Enter Ted Lasso. (laughs) RogerEbert.com had this to say about the first three episodes. Quote, the story's gooey nature is fair game but it's nearly maddening by how unfunny it is specifically being based around someone the world could use more of in its first couple of episodes, especially the series is dry when getting to know Dacus's one note ray of sunlight and filled with played out jokes, like the pronunciation of Jif or a plethora of culture shock moments, like lasso calling tea, hot Brown water, like much of the show, it all feels very safe, which is often a nice word for lazy. End quote. <laughs> Do you think that reviewer regrets what they had to say? Right. <laughs> It's hard to deny the magic of season one with quirky characters and men women can undoubtedly fall in love with the show endeared viewers from all over anyone with Apple Plus couldn't stop discussing this show. So over the course of its three seasons, so far, the show has 156 awards nominations and 75 wins. This includes in 2021 and 2022 Outstanding Comedy Series, Jason Sudeikis winning for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series, Brett Goldstein for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series, and in 2021, Hannah Waddingham won Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series, as well as loads of Emmys for other writing and directing. So... The finale of Ted Lasso aired May 30th, 2023, and at the time of this recording, that was yesterday. This episode is going to be devoted to all three seasons of Ted Lasso. Did I miss anything? No. (laughs) Okay. I always like to to make a disclaimer, though. If you have not watched the show, this is a spoiler. Filled. Spoiler show. Yeah. So if you haven't watched it, come back. After you watch all three seasons, then come back and listen to us. Yes, let's have a moment to pause so that way people can turn off the app, their podcast player. <laughs> Moments over. Hey, in twenty twenty, that was that seems such a long time ago. It feels like so long ago. But I gotta say, I think that was one of Apple TV's first mm-hmm. show, because- one of their first shows, wasn't it? Because Apple more, TV was pretty new. Yeah, they weren't. It, they were kind of making a big deal about how they were going to produce original content. The morning show was one of yeah. them, which they keep bringing back. And we covered it on this show. We covered season one on this show, and I refuse to cover season two because <laughs> I'm going to say it. I understand I will be blackballed for this, but the morning show is trash. <laughs> I didn't get past season one, so <laughs> yeah, because it's trash. <laughs> Season two wasn't even any, but, and then they're coming back for like, see, anyway, that's not why we're here. We're here to talk about Ted Lasso. <laughs> yeah. Apple TV in general was trying to make a, make a, a mark on the streaming services. Cause obviously we were all at home. Mm-hmm. So that's all we had was streaming services. Yeah. So Apple TV, Apple TV was kind of came out from behind and was probably one of the last streaming services to hit, but this was one of the first, I think, original shows yes. they put out. One of the first few. 
So I remember just, I remember seeing the trailer and I was like, oh, that looks kind of cool. And because I had just gotten Apple TV, I was like, well, I might as well try it. Were you um, one of the ones who got it because you bought an Apple device, so they gave it to you for free? I don't. I want to say I think I did. Because I, I, I had I had Apple I TV for free for so long that when I start when I got charged for it finally, I was like, "What the shit is this charge?" <laughs> because I, I, we I mean, are an, we are an Apple family, so I bought a new MacBook, I bought a new phone, I bought an iPad. So it's like I'm like mm-hmm. replacing all my old tech, and they're like, "Free, free, free Apple Plus." <laughs> there you go. But it is, it's actually like the cheapest streaming service. So mm-hmm. let's see, it's only five, $5 a month. So, I mean, it's not too bad. And they yeah. actually have a, now they actually have a lot of good content on there. And they put like free movies and actually like good blockbuster movies on there mm-hmm. sometimes. So it's kind of a sleeper hit in terms of content because I've been watching Shrinking. I watched all of Shrinking in like one setting. Also, a Bill Lawrence, Brett Goldstein collab. Brilliant show. So mm-hmm. funny. Stars Harrison Ford and Seth. Nope. Jason. Jason Siegel. Jason Siegel. <laughs> I I get the freaks and geeks guys confused, I guess. Um, and then I started Platonic, as you know, and like totally loving that show. I think it's amazing. Physical starring Rose Byrne, so good. Love Schmig- Rose Byrne. Yeah, and she gets to be Schmig- Australian. She gets to be Australian in it. Yeah, Schmigadoon is amazing. Like they have such amazing shows that you're just like, why isn't anybody talking about Apple Plus? So as we know, Ted Lasso is hired by Rebecca, who is a woman scorned um, to basically like the variety ad said, like to basically run this league into the ground because she's so angry at her ex um, husband. And while the show kind of the premise is sort of a cliche, I think that they do a really good job at like, taking that cliche and making it so human and whole and lovely and wonderful. (laughs) So I don't know. Do you know anything about um, American football? I literally know like three things about American football. So a little bit, but it's, yeah, yeah, but it's still funny to watch this sort of like country kid come to town to, cause you don't think like it's such a culture shock. So there's a lot of yeah. like easy jokes there that I think they made smart and funny. Yes. And you know, what's funny is because I was, I'm still thinking about that review. They're saying it was unfunny. It's a different type of humor. Mm-hmm. It's, it's smart humor, I guess, maybe you'd say. So, it's like a ripple over you. It's like, there's the first yeah. wave of the chuckle. And then when it starts to sink in, you're like, Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it does. It might get a couple episodes to get used to what they're trying to do. Like, yeah, another show that reminds me of that kind of humor is like The Office. Like, mm-hmm. I remember starting The Office and I didn't like it. Like, I was just like, this is dumb. But my friend was like, no, you got to push through it. It's like two to three episodes, push through, and then yeah, you're gonna love it. And I pushed through, and I loved it, and I was a fan ever since. So I think it's one of those shows because I've had a couple friends who I tell, hey, you gotta watch the lasso, and they're like, we tried it, it was okay. I'm like, gotta keep pushing, gotta keep pushing. And now they're like diehard fans, and they're like up, you know, all up to the seasons and all that stuff. So I I get where the guy was coming from, like. 
it, it takes a minute for you to kind of under, actually understand what they're trying to do. And it's, I tell everybody, you got to push through a couple episodes. And sometimes that is most of the show. Like you do have mm-hmm. to push because it's like they're trying something different. Mm-hmm. And so well, and I think with the premiere or the pilot episode, it, they're really, they have to set up a lot of things. So there's yeah. a lot of groundwork happening. And that's true for a lot of pilots, right? Like a lot of pilots are really establishing the groundwork. And because streaming television doesn't really have the same restrictions of airtime like broadcast tv does mm-hmm. they can play with it in different ways and so like you know the first season they're anywhere from 28 minutes to 32 minute episodes they're not they're not long i thought they i mean i'm not in the same camp when the show aired and i watched the first episode i was like yep And then it's like, is it because all of the soccer players are hot men and I'm totally fine with watching that for 30 minutes or, you know, Roy Kent is adorable. So even though he's like a gruff, angry guy, like I'm want to watch, you know what I mean? So there's a lot of variables of like, Mm -hmm. why did I stick with it? But then when you do, and I think that's why dropping three, two to three episodes at first is really helpful with a new show, because then you Mm -hmm. are like, okay, I'll give the second episode a try. And then hopefully in theory, by the third episode, you're like, where's the rest? I'm addicted. Give it to me all now, please. Mm -hmm. But you know, I, I enjoyed watching (laughs) this sort of like, you know, American guy trying to figure out England. I thought it was funny. And I don't know if you watch a lot of British television. This is not a conversation we've ever had, but I basically grew up on PBS, which is all British television. <laughs> BBC, all that stuff. <laughs> yes, Masterpiece Theater. Like it is, it is what our household was watching all the time. So there's a lot of like Britishy type things that are tied in where it's like, yeah, as an American, you would think that about England if you don't yeah. know. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I thought it was really fun. <laughs> I just think, no, I'm thinking, I used to watch um, my favorite thing from the PBS, the BBC was the the Chronicles of Narnia. Did you yes! ever watch that old yes! one? Yes! It was yes! so good. And it's, it's so good. It's so, so I, I like recently watched it like about a month ago because they have the new ones, obviously. Yeah. So it's like, I, I used to watch this all the time as a kid. And I was watching, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cheesy. The puppets are horrible, but it's yeah. still so good to me. I'm like, yeah. I still watch them. And I'm it's... like, like they don't make like that stuff anymore. <laughs> I know. Um, Fairy Tale Theater was a huge one in our house. When, mm. Back in the days when VCRs were king, my dad would record that. Like, so what was on, what he recorded for his kids all the time the Cosby show, RIP, right? Like, it's so sad now that it's, you can't, it's like hard to watch now. Family Ties and then fairy tale theater. <laughs> like, we had so much fairy tale theater that I think the opposite of hap- like what happened to me was like, I'm cool on fairy tales. I've had enough. My <laughs> entire childhood was all that. But a version of a fairy tale is a rom com. So maybe that's yes. how it translated. The whole premise of the show is rooted in sort of this character that was created. I think, did they air on ESPN? Like he's like, did commercials or something as this character? I can't, I don't, I don't watch. The only, the only sport channel I watch is when the Giants are playing (laughs) and I've not seen it on there. So it must be ESPN or something like that. Yeah. Like it was based on a character or something Mm -hmm. from there, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering what okay so rebecca is the owner of 
the uh, Richmond team, the Richmond team, the football club. She's this tall, gorgeous, powerful woman who is confident on the outside and inside. Sometimes she has moments of insecurity, but we all do. Um, but she is just like kind of intimidating, but in the beginning, she's just all prickles and quills, if you will. And her relationship with Ted, I feel like, I feel like Ted just makes everybody melt and turns into like a better version of themselves. Well, he starts with, uh, biscuits with the boss because mm-hmm. <laughs> he makes like he gives her this set of biscuits and it, she's like oh and she at first she didn't want them but then she tried some she's like oh my gosh these are just like the ones i used to have as a kid and then he turns it into oh let's have biscuits with the boss and that's you know his little puns and yeah and she's like <laughs> absolutely not yeah she's yeah. like i do not want this <laughs> this is not a thing i asked for why are you here and she- like i'm here because you hired me not for this you know yes but in every episode every time it comes to her every morning he brings her a little biscuit and we find out like i think by the end of the season that he's the one that actually makes them Mm -hmm. because at first he doesn't tell her where he gets them yeah so but we find out he learned how to make them and made them and i was just like oh that's so sweet and to do that every day (laughs) yeah that's a lot of work i can barely make breakfast every day let alone like a complicated pastry like no um oh my gosh higgins i didn't even put higgins on our list oh higgins i'm sorry higgins um if you are a fan of downton abbey higgins is sprat violet crawley's butler so to see him go from sort of this rigid 1920s butler who's like I do my job, leave me alone. I do my job well, don't threaten me kind of guy to a very lovable, humble, sweet, sometimes assistant. sometimes misguided assistant is really, really fun because then you get to see the range that he has as an actor yeah. because his character is so different from Spratt. But what I love about the relationship of Ted and Rebecca is that, so one of the things that I... I'm going to backtrack a little bit. The internet was constantly spinning theories about how like, oh, Ted and Rebecca are going to get together. Ted and Rebecca have this tension. Ted and Rebecca, Ted and Rebecca, Ted and Rebecca. And for me, I was like, no, Ted and Rebecca will never because they have this relationship that is beautiful in the sense that you can have a relationship with somebody and there be no sexual anything whatsoever. Mm -hmm. That has never been in my observation of the show that has never been a part of their connection. Other people might think and be picking it up. But what I see is like Rebecca going from, I want to destroy this thing to, Oh, like, Ted humanizes it for her. And therefore Mm -hmm. she uncovers this layer of herself that is warm and kind and wants to do better too. And, and when somebody does that for you, it, there's this appreciation and adoration that comes with it. That is strictly platonic. And I feel like that's Ted and Rebecca. Mm -hmm. And I think they both discovered like, as the relationship grew, they're easy to talk to. Mm-hmm. Like Rebecca, at first we said she's she's intimidating. People are very like pins and needles around her, but like Ted Lasso doesn't care. He's like, oh, just another person that, you know, needs love. Mm-hmm. And I think 
for her, it's somebody that's, you know, genuine and listens and stuff. And she didn't have that in her marriage whatsoever. And I think because everyone's so pins and needles, pins and needles around her, it was a nice change of fresh air for her to have someone listen. Yeah. And then it just, as they grew, they became comfortable with each other. And it was a very platonic relationship. I didn't want them. I was the same boat. I didn't want them to get together. I didn't think they were ever going to get together. I liked the relationship as their friendship because mm-hmm. it was strong. And they both helped each other through anxiety and funerals and death and all that stuff. So I think it it worked that way. Yeah. And I think they're so much alike in a way that you don't see it until the relationship develops and unfolds for the audience. Like mm-hmm. Ted has a lot of pressure on him because he is such a, he's a leader in a premier league. Rebecca has pressure on her because she's a, in a male dominated industry. They both have these sort of weird surface relationships with their parents. Um, and we don't learn a ton about Ted's family. And that's like a slow burn for his storyline. Like we get little by little, we don't know his, we don't know much about his dad. We don't really learn anything about his mom until season three. Whereas we get a lot of Rebecca's mom throughout all the seasons. And with the death of her father, we really get a lot of intel in that episode as well. But I think because they both understand what it's like to have to be the rock and they have very different approaches on how they are the rock for the people in their lives, they mm-hmm. they have that mutual respect there too. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay, so I want to move on to Keely and Jamie because in season one... We meet Keely. Jamie's the darling of the team. He is the best player. He is the young hot shit. His name is Jamie Tart. They turn the baby shark song into his name and it's fucking adorable. <laughs> and because he's a hot shot football player in a premier league, he's got this gorgeous model girlfriend who is Keely Jones. There's so much about this relationship i don't even i don't always know i don't know how to begin there's a age gap we learn about where she's like or because i think jamie's supposed to be like in his early 20s and when the series begins Mm -hmm. and we we know that keely's a little older because there's a point where she makes a comment of like you know i've been dating young hot professional athletes football players yeah yeah since i was since i was 20 and i'm not 20 anymore and it's not cute anymore So like, we don't really, I don't know if they ever fully give us our age, but we know that there's an age gap. There's also an emotional intelligence gap because Jamie is hot shit, full of himself. He knows he's hot shit. He knows he's the best player on the team. And he kind of treats Keely in a way that a 20 year old would probably treat their girlfriend (laughs) if they were rich and hot shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) and didn't have a fully developed brain yet (laughs) mckeely is played by juno temple and jamie is played by phil dunster and they're so freaking adorable (laughs) Mm -hmm. and i just love them and i think their story over the three seasons is really interesting too because Keely has a major growth where she's just like, they're at a fundraiser and I forget which episode number it is. And actually this episode's brilliant because we learn so much about all of them in this episode Mm -hmm. because 
that's also the point where Rebecca's like, Ooh, I have a moral obligation to share with Keely what Jamie is really up to. And I didn't realize that until just this moment, because my ex-husband also screwed me over by cheating with lots and lots of women. And I think Keely and Jamie, when their relationship finally dissolves and we find Keely and Roy together, it's a really interesting contrast with how Keely doesn't change because of who she's with. She mm. grows in a way that is very crucial to her character, but she, we see her still be who she is regardless mm -hmm. of what guy she's with. Mm -hmm. He's very kind and is always looking out for everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's such a pure of heart. Her heart is so pure, mm -hmm. like in a way, like there's a scenario, there's a scene when uh, Ted first comes on and Rebecca's trying to like sabotage everything. And she hires a photographer to take these photos um, of Ted and Keely and print them out of context. And Keely's like has a friend who finds out and shares with her like, hey, these are going to be the front page, but I've stopped it for a day. So then Keely's like, what is happening, Ted? This is bad. And then they bring it to Rebecca, Rebecca and they have no idea Rebecca has done it. So then Rebecca's like, oh, no, I know the owner of the son. I can kill it. And so they kill it. But then when Keely finds out that it was really Rebecca, she like she doesn't attack Rebecca. She doesn't like do any catty petty bullshit she just says to rebecca basically she says to rebecca this is wrong you need to tell ted or i will and like handles herself in such a way that is so badass in that scenario <laughs> and then she forgives rebecca and they become best friends which is so wonderful because I feel like we all too often have scenarios where the women are the foils of each other and fight the entire show. And we're not seeing like modeled friendships. The show is just a model of how to be a human and have relationships mm -hmm. period, because it's so refreshing to see two women have conflict, resolve that conflict in a mature way and still manage to have a friendship. Mm -hmm and support each other in their ventures eventually and, yeah. and i think that, that that was a good thing about keely too is she was very she's very observant too and i think she because she didn't really know rebecca too well she just knew her because she was dating jamie but even before that she was like oh girl talk and all this stuff and rebecca was kind of like thrown off because again rebecca always came off you know intimidating but keely wasn't intimidating no matter what she was like you're a badass and like she was just in awe of her mm -hmm. so it's like keely keely didn't see any of that like she just saw the good in her even mm -hmm. though she did find out and told her you know professionally like stop it like she still loved her and still helped her out and yeah, it's like it's like Keely's like, hey, uh, I don't buy into or believe in the bullshit that we have to fall into where we're in competition with each other. We're just we're just a couple of gals who are here, who are awesome, who have our own set of skills. Why are you trying to fuck that up? And she's a and she's a very caring. I mean, Keely is very caring. Uh, we see that in in her PR, like when she's doing when she gets hired for the club in season two and she's doing all this stuff she's making sure all the guys are comfortable mm -hmm. making sure you know their needs are taken care of and then even when they break her and jamie break up like she still checks on him yeah. like she still says, hey jamie how are you and stuff like that so 
And then in season three, we see her making sure Jamie's okay because he ends up going through a hard time. So it's like she still cares about him, even though you know she may not be in love with him. Mm-hmm. So it just shows the power of kindness through Keely too, and I love Keely. Yeah, who is your favorite character in the whole show? Could you my pick favorite one? is uh, it's hard. Um, I think Jamie Tart is still my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked him since day one, even though he was a douchebag in his yeah. game. Like, it's like, I don't know. I always I always knew it's like, I guess it's that kind of stereotype character. It's like, you know, he's a douche, but then, you know, in the end, he's going to like find something and turn around. So I don't know. I always have a weakness for those kind of characters, <laughs> but I always love Jamie Tart. I thought he had probably one of the best overall story arcs in all three seasons. Yeah, um, I agree. And he had some of the funniest lines too, you know, even they were just like one liners and stuff. Yeah. Um, Poopy. Yeah. It's just poopy. <laughs> My terrible <laughs> British accent. But every time he would be like, you guys, it's just poopy. And you're just like, oh my God, it's so dumb, but I can't help but laugh. Right. Well, yeah. I would say probably Jamie Turk's my favorite out mm-hmm. of everybody, but I love everyone. Roy Kent, mm-hmm. Jones. Dead Lasso. And I think Jamie has the most obvious growth. Like it's it's very much in your face because he, like you said, like we've talked about, he's this hot shot, hot shit. His foot was kissed by God, quote from Roy Kent. Um, and you know, and he knows it, but his influence growing up is this very negative, very toxic dad who like sets these sort of standards and doesn't ever positively ever he never positively reinforces his son never tells him good job unless it's the crowd also like it's very it's very narcissistic in the sense of like jamie's dad is only proud of him when his dad can take the credit for it that's my son i did that he's my boy kind of shit and jamie's resentful because in contrast to sam and Sam has this very loving father that we don't mm-hmm. meet until season three. And he he confides in his dad and he has this really strong bond with his father. Whereas Jamie has a fractured bond, is, you know, sort of out of obligation and just wants his dad to love him, right? Like mm-hmm. he just wants his dad to see him and to love him and to tell him that he is doing a good job. But is it the end of season? Is it season two, the end of season two, where Jamie like finally learns? Because one of the things that Ted works on him with is like, Jamie, you got to pass the ball. You're not the only person on the team. This mm-hmm. is a team. We are a team. Yeah. Pass the ball. And then at some point, Jamie finally does pass the ball and doesn't make the winning shot, but he passes it. I think it's to Sam to make the winning shot. Mm-hmm. And, and in the locker room, Jamie's dad comes in and is just like, the fuck is wrong with you? Like you could have made it, or maybe it's not, maybe I'm con- confusing the two because at some point, Jamie's dad is like, why didn't you take the shot? You could have made the winning shot. And then there's another scene where Jamie's dad comes into the locker room and literally is like, uh yeah. no and then roy has to st- like roy beard ted they all step in pull jamie's dad away and then roy hugs jamie in the most oh, my favorite episodes beautiful scene in television that is probably completely underappreciated in every way shape or form because at this point we know jamie and roy can't stand each other mm-hmm. and jamie's been berated by his father and Roy just walks up to him in his toughness 
and just puts his arms around Jamie. And that is such a beautiful scene. When Roy Kent hugs Jamie, he <laughs> hugs all of us. Mm -hmm. Getting me all teary-eyed because I'm thinking about it. It's one of my favorite scenes. Because it's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Whoever wrote that scene, God, well done you. <laughs> I should look to see who wrote that episode. So it's so good. But anyway, so Jamie, you know, his growth in the whole season. So to watch him sort of become this caring person who wants to be a support to his team. And then by the end of it, finds a way to heal his relationship with his dad. I loved that episode in season three mm -hmm. where we got to meet Jamie's mom. And he's she's like this comfort to him in a way. It, you know, and it's they there's a there's a couple of things where they suggest that maybe they're they're a little too comfortable with each other, but it doesn't matter because the way I saw it was these are two people who've been hurt by the same person. So they have this shared experience that no one else can really understand. I get that. Yeah. And he's just so adorable and delightful by the end. He's so, yeah, I, yes. so I think his growth is the most obvious throughout the entire series. Everyone has so much growth though. And I had so much growth. Yeah. <laughs> They really do. It's like it's like it's like Ted Lasso takes these characters who could become villains and redirects them in a way where they don't become villains because the only villain that can exist is Rupert, which it makes me very upset that Anthony Head, our beloved Giles, our beloved who protected Buffy and did right <laughs> by all those children was the villain in Ted Lasso. <laughs> But he played a good villain, though. He did, and it makes me so upset because I'm like, okay, now I need to watch <laughs> Buffy as a palate cleanser so I can get back to thinking that Anthony Head isn't a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> but did you like, so, yeah, he's, he's horrible. He's so horrible. <laughs> he, and it's funny because it's like, so throughout the whole seasons, you know, he's trying to make people's lives miserable, trying to do this, trying to do that. And people put him in his place, and he still does it. Um, and then towards the end, it's like Rebecca doesn't even care anymore about him. Like, she's like, he's going to he's gonna wreck himself, basically. He's going to bring himself down. And he and we see that in the finale. Like, he, wreck, he does it to himself. He mm -hmm. destroys his image. And it's funny because I was looking at... I was looking, I was reading this article about the parallels of where we started to where we're ending. And in the stadiums, um, in the beginning of the seasons, everyone would uh, call Ted a wanker mm -hmm. because he was, you know, he's horrible. So the whole stadium would call wanker, wanker, wanker. So now they had stopped because he was doing so good, but now they're pointing to Rupert, Rupert and calling him a wanker. And it just, it shows the whole contrast. So, like, yeah. and even Ted kind of noticed it, like, hey, that's not me they're calling that. It's, you know, <laughs> he brought it on himself. He really did. And you know what? I, so I, the whole time I was like, I think Rupert is the misogyny, it symbolizes misogyny and patriarchy. Like, he is that character. He literally is that is that he's everything mm -hmm. about the patriarchy that's bad for everybody. He's everything about misogyny that's bad. And with Nathan, Nathan is this sweet, adorable, just timid guy. And 
as they develop Nathan's character, you see that he has sort of this darkness to him and it, it kind of grows. And then he ends up being, you know, somebody we hate by season two, but that, but that's like a blatant thing that he does. Right. And so throughout season or do we, or does he do it at the end of season End of season two. It's end of season two. So, but throughout season one, I was seeing little things about Nathan where it's just like, oh, I don't actually think you're a good guy. I just think because you are not intimidating looking and very, very quiet, people think you're sweet and adorable. Because I think he even like, he misreads things all the time Mm -hmm. and then internalizes those things and makes himself the victim. Like when they brought Roy on to be the coach Mm -hmm. and he sort of shouts at Ted, like you praised me, you praised me, you praised me. And then nothing. And I was like, have you never had a job before you cultivate and nurture the newest employee? And then you move on once everyone's settled. Like that's how that works. Nathan, Ted did not turn his, that's how I saw it. I didn't see it as Ted turning Mm -hmm. his back on him. I saw it as, Ted sort of doing what he does as a head coach, but then Nathan feels rejected and starts to grow this hatred towards Ted. And that was just, and then, but prior to that, there's other things too, that we see that Nathan's sort of heading down this path of like, mm, you got some tendencies I don't like, right? Like tries to kiss Keely. He's not nice to the new kit man at all. Mm-hmm. He's horrible to him. Like, how is that how you treat people? I'm not into that vibe. <laughs> but I love that when they when he does kind of take on West Ham and is the head coach there, he sort of sees what he could become through Rupert and what Rupert is. And he makes the realization, like I don't want that. Yeah. 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 I, I still don't. I st- I'm like, Nate still has tendencies, though. Like, I was in a debate with somebody on... um with a friend of mine on Instagram about Nate and I was, and they're like, well, I can see, you know, where he's coming from and why he's this way. And then I'm like, I don't give a fuck. We make all these, we make all these reasons for a certain type of man and all these excuses for a certain type of man. And then he does these horrible things. And we're just like, well, we get it. Cause his dad's mean to him. And it's like lots of women and other men and other people have perfect, have parents who aren't nice to them. They're not behaving this way. I was gonna say I I did like in season three where he it's funny because that the the hostess at the restaurant that he goes from season two and season three Jade. like I always liked her because she never really said anything mm-hmm. until really season three and then we find out how cool she is and and I think she's kind of the one that did help him kind of see things too because she called him out and she kept him accountable too like. She she saw right through Rupert like the first thing. She's like, he's not a nice guy. Like that was her first time meeting him, and she mm-hmm. already could tell that he's a not nice guy. And she knew that he wasn't supposed to be at the restaurant. Like he had, you know, better aspirations and stuff like that. So it's like, I was like all in for her. I was like so excited that like she actually like liked him because it was like. She's very genuine, but she also pushed him and mm-hmm. kept him accountable. So, yeah, that's something that the team of Ted Lasso does really well. They take these characters and they provide a world and support that 
pushes them towards their better selves. Mm -hmm. And I love that. And even with the Rupert and Rebecca dynamic, when he used to get to her, Rebecca has been around uh, Ted enough and her, and, and at the funeral when her mother's like, I don't let him get to me. I think he's a twat and I hate him and I hate what he did to you, but it's so much fun to watch him be confused as to why I'm nice to him. <laughs> and, and it's like, she finally gets it right. So like every single character where there's somebody who pulls out something negative about them, there's a counter character, like a counterpart that pulls them in the direction of rise above that be a better person. And I love that about the show because it's not over. It's not blatant. It's not in your face. Mm -hmm. It's there's no like preachiness about be a good human. They're just demonstrating what it's like to have nuance and to consider that nuance in, in others. Mm -hmm. It happened very naturally. Like, it yes, just, it happened very naturally. And I loved it. Okay, so what did you think about Ted and when they brought, about the scenario of when they brought in Dr. Sharon Fieldstone, which I think is a nod to Sleepless in Seattle and Dr. Marsha Fieldstone, but I could just be overthinking it. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it has the same sort of rhythm. The way they say Dr. Sharon Fieldstone it has the same rhythm that it does in Sleepless in Seattle. So that's why I kind of think that. Mm. Um, but what did you think about them bringing her in and then in that ted's response to her being there i well i liked her i think she was very funny and she was very like to the point <laughs> um i i enjoyed it because i thought it brought the attention of especially men um talking about mental health mm -hmm. um and i think for men it's like it's very scary to share their emotions because you know, we live in a world that's like, hide your emotions and you're the man, so you got to be tough and all that stuff. And especially in the sports world. And so I think um, bringing her in um, kind of opened that door. And like you said, naturally, of being able to open your emotion. And I think watching Ted kind of struggling to share, like, is something like we could all relate to because it's mm -hmm. like, we're opening ourselves up to to a stranger. Like, what are they going to think? Are they going to judge us? Like, I'm not perfect. I'm not this. I'm not that. So um, I thought it was really cool how they they kind of opened that door up for everybody. And I think it, you know, it helps people in that field and, you know, to see that, you know, therapy isn't always a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love how even in the contrast of the generations too, right? Like some of the younger guys are like, oh, cool. Somebody to talk to here for it. And with Ted being, we presume similarly aged to the real Jason Sudeikis, who is in his forties, mid forties, that, that also that generational of like, you know, we don't talk about our problems. And then that's where we learn too, that his dad also struggled and that his dad was like a super happy guy. And then out in what felt like out of nowhere to Ted died by suicide. And so you really get an insight in such a way, because I think it's season one that Ted has his, we see Ted have his panic mm -hmm. attack, right? Mm -hmm. So you're kind of like, is he having this panic attack because he knows nothing about 
football. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's doing. Everyone's calling him wanker. He's literally a fish out of water. So is that why, you know, and then you start to learn that like, it's a thing that exists in his family. His father was chipper and happy, but also suffered from severe depression. Ted is so joyful and does such a great job at making everyone feel heard and seeing everyone for, for who they are and really listening to them and bringing people together, but no one's ever really checking in on him. Mm -hmm. So he's sort of like flipping it around so he is everyone's support and it's almost intentional. So that way he doesn't have to deal with his own emotions and, and what he's going through. I agree with that. That's good. And I feel like it's a, I feel like it's a common theme, right? Like when you think about all the people that we love the most throughout history, that we are shocked who died by suicide mm -hmm. in the entertainment world, it's almost like, well, it's like the Ted Lasso effect. They're mm -hmm. they're working really hard to make everyone happy because they want everyone to be happy because internally they're trying to figure out how to make themselves feel good too. Mm -hmm. But no one ever asks them, how are you? Until Dr. Sherry Fieldstone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and she's so good. She did an interview, the actress did an interview with Brene Brown, like mm -hmm. shortly after she came on scene. And it was so good. If I can find it, I will link it in the show notes. I like that, like, even in the beginning, like, after she leaves, like, Ted still calls her for, like, mm -hmm. their daily check-ins or whatever, which, so, I'm like, that shows growth for him, too, that he's, like, continuing with his therapy and all that stuff. And then I love that she's a fan of the club, so it's, like, she's still watching them, still rooting for them. So I just thought that was beautiful. Yeah. It made me wonder too, how many like high pressure institutions ever considered bringing in a mental health professional for their team? Because remember during the Olympics when Simone Biles was like, I, my brain is not in the right space. This is a lot. I'm going to bow out. And then like the internet was like, how dare you? And the other half of the internet was like, good for you, girl, your brain space is important. And it was mm -hmm. so interesting to watch that unfold. But then it's like, those of us who aren't elite athletes don't truly understand the pressure of what that means. Practice every day, putting on a show, deal with the hate. <laughs> yeah. Just what you're putting your body through. Like mm -hmm. I, it's, and it's just there's so much I don't think mm -hmm. it and not everyone can handle it because mm -hmm. of the pressure and I think if there was access and resources not just for elite athletes but you know when you do have sort of a lot of pressure happening what a difference that would make and you really see the result of that with the club because the guys do sort of get to be a little bit more open and bond a little bit more. It's like it unlocks another layer for them to be comfortable and close with each other. Mm -hmm. We kind of touched on Roy and Jamie already. Yes. But I feel like I want to talk about them more. Okay. Because I love how they start out as enemies and end up being really good friends. But mm. then also have a moment where they're like, oh, shit, we're both in love with the same girl. <laughs> and then they're like, well, we're still friends. <laughs> I think that was that was growth right there. Yes, <laughs> it really was. Because 
throughout the series, Roy will be charge, right? Like he's just screaming at him. Like yeah. that is Roy's love language is like yelling people's names. And you get so used to that. So by the time everyone, like Roy and Keely are broken up and Roy realizes like, oh, I think Jamie might want her back. But also Roy realizes he wants her back too. When he walks in the finale, when he walks into the um, locker room, I fully was expecting him to scream Jamie's name. And then no, he, he's like, let's go have a beer. <laughs> yes. I was like, oh my God, Roy Kent, <laughs> who are you? I was fully expecting you to scream Tart. And here you are having a measured and rational conversation. I was like, where's the headbutt? Forgetting that there's been growth. I was fully expecting a headbutt. <laughs> yeah. And they, I, I love their little romance, their little bromance they get going. Like, because, you know, Roy ends up training Jamie to be the better, a better version of himself. And, and yeah. Jamie in return helps Roy. We have a Roy doesn't know how to ride a bicycle, so Jamie helps him with that. That was a great episode. That was a great episode, yeah. <laughs> There's that scene also where Jamie, he knows Jamie something's wrong with Jamie, and Jamie goes into the locker room or the the back room, and he starts kind of yelling at him like, "What the heck's going on, blah blah." And then you just see Jamie start crying. He's like, "What? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. What did I just do? <laughs> yeah." Oh, but to your point about helping him train, I really love how like, so this character Zava comes in at, in the beginning of season three and you're just kind of like, what is happening with, okay. Um, but he's so good. And Jamie is so, in, is so unimpressed by this character. And so I think that moment where you, when you were talking about how like he's Roy starts rain, training Jamie, I think when Roy approaches him is like, are you serious about wanting to get better? And you see Jamie like contemplate it and go, yeah, like I, yeah. Like that also, I feel like is a really beautiful moment because the old Jamie could have been like, I'm already good. I, it's just a moment of, I'm just having whatever because Zava's mm -hmm. getting in the way and Zava's, clearly more of a showman blah 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 no he's like yeah i recognize that i could be better and i loved that i just love how the men on the show accept that they have a weakness and are willing to grow from it mm -hmm. i don't know any other tv show that does that do you it's so good no you watch way more television and movies than i do <laughs> sam and rebecca I'm actually, I didn't like this sh this this ship. Really? Okay, so let's set it up for everybody. Sam and Rebecca. So Keely gets this, uh, does PR for this uh, dating app called Banter, where it's all anonymous and you just like chat back and forth, which is actually a brilliant concept because on dating apps, nobody actually reads what you write. They're only looking at your pictures. Um, and if you aren't witty enough to match your pictures, people are like, no, done, unmatch. So Keely's like, everybody sign up for the app. This is a startup company. There's venture capitalists. They've hired me to do the PR. Start, do the, do, do the app, do that, everybody. So Rebecca, we see, is flirting with somebody on the app. And they give us the impression that it's Ted. After a while, we kind of start thinking maybe she's chatting with Ted. But it turns out it's Sam Obasenya. 
who is so freaking cute and also 20 years old and on the club. He's a member of the team, which is a problem. <laughs> Why didn't you like this? It was very You Got Mail, though. But <laughs> It was very You Got Mail. I loved that. I think, no, I think it was just, I like, I love the two characters. Like, I love Sam. Sam is adorable. He's pure of heart. But it was like, because of the age difference, and just because I think they were both wanting two different things, like, I knew it wasn't going to, like, it wasn't going to happen. So, it's yeah. like, I felt like they were just kind of there for each other for a moment. But I felt like, I felt like I knew it wasn't going anywhere. So it's like, why are we wasting our time kind of thing? I didn't think it was a waste of time. <laughs> One, I felt like it challenged my whole frustration about like the powerful owner, man, person dating younger women, because it's literally what Rupert's doing. Mm. Um, so it challenged my belief system there. And then two, I was like, Rebecca needs this because she's been so broken by Rupert that she needs somebody to just like adore her. Mm. But you know what? They could have done it with. <sighs> Damn it, Mario. Okay. Now <laughs> I am like, man, it sucks that he was on the team because it does sort of play into that double standard of like, it's gross when men do it, but like, let's give a pass for a woman. Like that's the double standard, but they did need a character to come in and make Rebecca feel adored because Alive Rupert, again. yeah because Rupert just like shredded that out of her which is so cruel and not uncommon for that type of man mm -hmm. which opens the door for her to be a little bit more um willing to have conversations because when she meet when were they in Sweden is Amsterdam. having this Amsterdam when um she has that sort of like Trist with the Dutch man. Yes, I loved that. I know. I was like, oh. but then I didn't realize that she never got. They never got each other's name. Yes, that was the best part. And then, so then it was like, so spoiler alert: at the very end, she ends up meeting them again, and it's like, oh, which I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so excited because yeah. I love him yeah. for her, and it's just like, oh. That just opens the door. Yes. And then they sit there in each other's names. I was like, oh, that's right. They didn't know each other's name. Like they kind of left it like that. Yeah. So I loved it. I loved the whole thing. And like when, okay, so in season three, Rebecca's mother is like, please go see my psychic. She's totally willing to take you on, but it's like a screening to make sure like that you're good enough for her type of shit. And Rebecca's like, your psychic is full of shit and takes money she's a charlatan but sure i'll go meet with her <laughs> and then like they meet and her the psychic's like oh my god you're there's a green matchbook and it was knight in shining armor but they or no knight on a white horse what was it? knight in shining armor it was shining it was sh they they basically like did something to scramble knight in shining armor i don't remember exactly how they worded it um, and then like, oh, you're going to have kids. And Rebecca, who's like a middle-aged woman is like, uh, fuck you to say that to me. Like that is cruel. That is mean. And how dare and leaves. 
So then later, if I don't know if it's the same episode or a later episode, I can't remember. She's at Sam's restaurant because at this point, Sam has opened a restaurant where there's um, Nigerian food because he has this whole storyline that happens between like whether or not he's going to leave the club to go play for a team in um, on the continent of Africa. Um, but he decides that he's not ready to leave England and to leave Richmond yet. Um, so, but his matchbooks at his restaurant are green. So then Rebecca's like, maybe the psychic isn't full of shit because psychics, <laughs> good psychics are not full of shit. <laughs> good psychics know what they're doing mm -hmm. um and so then it's like okay so then everyone's sort of waiting with bated breath of like oh my god sam and rebecca are gonna get together because you know they're gonna have kids and he's got the green matchbook but it never actually like claire like that's sometimes the thing with you know going to get a psychic psychic reading it's never like written out for you like a story like a book is right or or a tv show it's very much like here are the pieces they will fall into place how they fall into place. So we see her green matchbook. And then the knight in shining armor thing is this guy. And then the season finale, there's a little girl. And he belong and she belongs to the Dutchman. Dutchman. It's so sweet. It's so adorable. So I'm so good. happy. It's like me he, too. He, he adored her. Mm -hmm. He worshipped her. Yeah. He, like, you know, I was like, oh. How did you think? Okay, so Tear. before you went into the season series finale, what did you think was going to happen? Mm. Do, you, do you remember? Because <laughs> I had a conversation with somebody on Tuesday and I was like, here are my predictions. And I was right. <laughs> well, I thought Roy and Keely would get together, but okay. it didn't happen. Okay. So um, I knew Ted was going to go home. Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like that was the only way. That's I the only way you're going to stay. Yeah. Like, Ted going yeah, home knew, is literally the only way was, you can end it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I knew Coach Bird would stay. I knew. Um, I thought Nate would probably become a coach by the end of the. the I guess he did. Did yeah. he become a coach? I he became assistant coach again. I feel like they still kind of left it vague. Yeah. Um, I knew Colin's boyfriend would probably show up. Mm -hmm. I thought that was beautiful. And then um, I think that was really it. Yeah. Like the predictions I had. Yeah. So Did you? I knew they would win. Mm -hmm. The Colin storyline in season three was um, unexpected for me because we did not get a ton of Colin in seasons one and two. So I was really glad that they brought him in a little bit more. I do, I did realize through his storyline that like, there's a lot of advantages of living in California. Yes, I live in a red county. With that said, there's still a lot more openness here in our red county compared to other states currently in the union. Mm -hmm. And I was very surprised that somebody under the age of, I assume Collins under the age of 25 would feel the need to be um, closeted. And then I realized that in professional sports, that's still a thing. Because mm -hmm. when I was looking up like how many athletes are like out open gay, it the number is still really small. Mm -hmm. 
So I kind I was like, okay, Ted Lasso, good for you. Like, I mean, I hate that. Like Colin felt like he had to live a secret, but I loved, loved, loved how much his team was like, we love you more. Like Mm -hmm. they weren't, he was so scared about like not being supported and like people being like awful about it. And then like his team was like, we got you boo. And that I just, I loved that because I think so often coming out stories are so tragic and we have so much Mm -hmm. in our television history of tragic coming out stories that like, this was just so beautiful to see his friends be like, we're hugging you. We're sorry that we didn't create a space where you felt like you could tell us please don't ever hide secret, like hide anything about yourself ever again. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because his good friend, Isaac, who's the captain was like yeah. mad at him for the whole episode. And he's yeah. like, what did I do? Like, why did I, well, it was an accident that he found out, but yeah. he yeah. was like all worried that like, you're not going to accept me. And we find out the whole reason he's mad. He's like, why didn't you tell me? Like, yeah. We're best friends. You didn't tell me like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I thought that was kind of cool too. Yeah, I but, agree. Um, I did like I the one thing that kind of got me was the whole Trent Krim. Mm. So Trent Krim, he's 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 another close of my favorite character since season yeah. one. Yeah, Trent, <laughs> Trent Krim, Krim the Independent. The independent. <laughs> <laughs> he's good because in one of the early episodes of season three, he sees Colin mm-hmm. kissing his boyfriend. So I was like, oh my goodness, is he gonna like? out him right gonna, i'm like my trent my trent do not like screw my vision of you up. like please do not out him yeah like, please do not and then then i kind of thought about it like the next episode i was like i wonder if trent like relates mm-hmm. and we we do find out that he does he's in the same oh he's in the same you know playing field um i they didn't really they didn't really establish if he was like high like in the closet like i felt like I think it was like he's out of the closet, but he just didn't promote it. Like he didn't Yeah, like, like he's not he's not like going around telling everybody that he's gay. Yeah. But he definitely like he definitely, you know, he has a mug a, his coffee mug is usually an indicator, right? Like he's got some sort of like pride thing happening with his mug. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized like, oh, they've been kind of telling us all through season three that Trent is probably not hetero. You just mm-hmm. don't see it until you find out and then go back and rewatch the season. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it sparks a nice little conversation between him and Colin. Mm-hmm. That was such a beautiful episode too. Yeah. Talking about the experiences and stuff. So I was just like, so yeah, another, another subject they tackled very well and very yeah. naturally. Yeah. And I love that they gave us more about Trent this season because in seasons one and two, yes. he really is like, that hard-pressed fella journalism guy. <laughs> and we but only really cool get to know him in it, the press conference. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but even though it's like, even though he is that hard guy, he's still rooting for Ted. Mm-hmm. Like, he gets to, he has that lunch date with Ted, and he's like, Ted Lasso, yeah, may not know anything, but he really is genuine. Like, yeah. And then, like, when he gives up, when he gives up, uh, Nate as his source of who told everybody about the panic attack like he's like as a journalist I do have to write this but as a friend like mm-hmm. I'm letting you know this is who told you like, yeah <laughs> and he yeah. lost his job because of it but 
Mm -hmm. He's like, I bounced back. And then I loved how they did incorporate him in season three was, Mm -hmm. I'm going to write a book about you guys. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I do. And it's interesting too, because it, I love how there was a consequence to his action. So like, it's, Mm -hmm. he's sort of playing with fire when it comes to his journalism integrity by revealing a source. Mm -hmm. And, and even though it's shitty that he loses his job, I appreciate that there was a consequence to that because Mm -hmm. when you, and granted my journalism career was very (laughs) short-lived. Um, but when somebody, if they wanted to go on the record, but wanted to go on the record anonymously, like you have to honor that. And then there's Mm. a responsibility to be like, I can't share that who that is with you. Um, because then too, you can gain a reputation of a person who isn't trustworthy to tell your story Mm -hmm. to, or to like share information with that eventually gets reported out. So even though it's shitty that he lost his job, I appreciate that he had like a true consequence for his actions. Um, but then on the other side of that coin, like you said, I appreciate that he was like, I respect too much Ted too much to not tell him he's got a, uh, a fox in the, in the hen house. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love Trent for him. He was great. I like his hair. His hair. Like, yeah. Exactly. Like Tim, Mrs. Lasso said, you have great hair. <laughs> okay, can I just say a pet peeve real quick? There yeah. are plenty of actresses in the world who have a natural Southern dialect. And I love the actress that played his mother because she is the mom on Freaks and Geeks. She is the mom and so many other things. She is this amazing. She's just such a, she's just so much fun to watch as an actor. She slipped out of a Southern accent so often in her, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one that heard it, but I feel like it was like, ma'am, was there not an actress who has a natural Southern dialect that you could have hired for this? I don't know. Maybe it was just me. Mario, you tell me. Did you, did you feel like? I didn't notice. I didn't even notice. It's always just me. (laughs) I can't hang. (laughs) I need it to be real. I need you to stick and stay in character. I don't know if it's because my grandparents were Southern. So I just hear it. Right. Mm. Like I just hear it. And so I don't know. I don't know. like a thing i can't let go every time anytime there is um actors that are trying to have a southern accent but i know they're not southern like i love the tv show jenny and georgia for so many reasons but the actress that plays georgia i don't know i don't know i don't i can't with her southern accent it sounds fake and sometimes when she talks too much it pulls me out of the show but again that's just me other than that, the show is brilliant. The writing's brilliant. The acting's brilliant. And everyone should watch it. It just got renewed for, I think, season three for sure. And I think also a season four. So I'm very excited about that. That is on Netflix. Ginny and Georgia. Ginny and Georgia. It's Never a great, seen in my life. It's okay. It's, you know, it appe- it's the, the demographic is literally me. <laughs> Mixed girl. <laughs> right? Like, I'm sure they're probably who loves Gilmore Girls because it's like an edgy Gilmore Girls, but they actually deal with race. They actually deal with like, you know, like life issues in a way. Right. Like the guy who played um, Street. What's his first name on Friday Night Lights? 
Uh, Kyle Chandler? No, he was the coach, oh. the kid that gets paralyzed in the oh. first episode. Oh, I know who you're trying. I forget his name. Something Street starts with a J. He's in it. <laughs> okay, that's enough about Jenny and Georgia. <laughs> On to Ted and Beard's relationship. Oh, they were so fun too. So Beard throughout the entire series, you just get these little tidbits about him, but you feel like you know him, but he also doesn't want mm -hmm. you to know him. And he reads a lot. So I need somebody to tell me whether or not there's a list out there of all the books that he is holding and presumably reading throughout the series. That's got to exist. I know it has to exist because one exists for Lucas Scott on One Tree Hill. One exists for Rory Gilmer on Gilmore Girls. Jess even has one from Gilmore Girls. So there has to be one for Beard. Okay. With that said, as you mentioned earlier, is working at the restaurant and his girlfriend's like, this isn't for you. Go back to Richmond. And he's like, Richmond doesn't want me. And then we have a scene between Ted and Beard where Ted's like, hey, Beard, stop being a dick about Nate. So then Beard goes to Nate's house and has this conversation. The most revealing we've ever received about Beard. Just tell me everything about Beard. Tell me if you liked him. What did you like about him? His growth. I need to hear everything from your perspective, Mario. Uh, Coach Beard is great. Very weird. Like, but that's why we love him. That's why we love him. His relationship with Jane. <laughs> that is so toxic. But it works for them. I like the. I like how they get married at the end. That's like funny, but. I was um, like, of course they did. <laughs> of course they got married. But just his like facial expressions too and stuff and. My favorite, my favorite um, scene from him is where co where they asked Roy to be the coach, and he's like, "No." And then we got the whole "She's a Rainbow" mono montage. Yeah. And then he's like, "Hey, coach!" And then blah blah blah. And he's like, "Shut up!" Blah blah blah. It's like you had me at coach. And then you see Coach Beer go, <gasps> "It's like that famous line." <laughs> And then, like, even in the, like, the last episode where the, the team's doing the so long farewell. Yes, I loved him, like, that Quickly, he quickly, like, wipes the tears off his eyes mm -hmm. because he can't show. <laughs> but it's like, he's very um, blunt. Mm -hmm. But it's like, he tells it like it is, though, too. Mm -hmm. like, And he's unfailingly like, oh. loyal. Yes. Very. And we and what's funny is we do find out the story mm -hmm. of how him and Ted became friends and all that stuff and like how much he needed Ted and it's just like that's why he's so loyal because he's mm -hmm. like I can never repay Ted back for what he did for me and he's just like oh I get the heartstrings right there. yes yes. <laughs> I loved that. I love, and I love the episodes in where they get a little weird, right? Cause there's one every season where they get a little weird and it's just a little bit more. The only word that comes to mind is cerebral, but I don't think that's the right descriptor for it. Like in season one, it's when Beard is finding Jane, he's trying to find her and she's like at church, but it ends up being like a club thing. Like that episode mm. is so interesting because they're, it's like, um, what do you call it when you have the one episode that's sort of like, there's an actual name for it, Mario. I'm dying right now. So you have like the one episode that is like the unique standalone, but it totally fits in within the story. I don't know the name of it. I was thinking the Promental, but that's the one before the finale. 
Yeah. Ugh, it's going to bother me. Anyway, so they have an episode every season where it's just sort of a little different from the traditional format and you get a little bit more because there's usually drugs involved. <laughs> like in season one, I think it's season one is when he's chasing after Jane and he ends up mm -hmm. like, you know, running into Jamie's dad. Oh, is it season one or season two? Season two is where, no, that's season two because they lose and he's like, yeah, to go. He runs into Jamie's dad in season in two. In the alley. In the alley. Yeah. Okay. So that's yeah. season two. Mm -hmm. I cannot remember but the he's one. he's chasing Jane. Right. He's looking he's for Jane in season one. Yeah. Is that not the same episode? I don't remember. No, everyone at, like everyone simple, everyone at home episode. is like yelling at us right now because we're like doing this wrong. No. <laughs> number, number two is where he's just depressed. So he's going to go have a, a night onto himself. And he just like runs into the random places and stuff. But I thought he was like trying it's... to find Jane in that. And he runs into Jamie's dad what? in the alley. Beard After Hours is episode nine, season two. After the semi-final defeat, Beard sets out on an all-night odyssey through London in order to collect his thoughts. But he's also trying to find Jane, I thought. And then in season mm. one... This is like, why is this so hard? Um, I've seen this series all the way through with the exception of like the last three episodes. Because the other one that's like kind of gets a little weird is when they go to karaoke. They're in Manchester, right? Where, what, but this, none of these are giving me in season one. this is gonna bother me i don't know maybe they don't have one in season one i thought they did it every season because i felt like the uh amsterdam episode sort of was similar to the episode where beard goes out on and wanders the town in that like ted has his own sort of like out-of-body experience because he thinks he's high <laughs> <laughs> is that which is the one where he's the the David Bowie cover band. Well, that's a whole different episode, isn't it? Remember, he gets dropped off at the from the bus, or what? Well, he gets dropped off at the bus from a van of people, and it's like, oh no, uh, Ziggy Stardust. It's Ziggy oh, Stardust. that's that's this that's season three. It's episode oh, okay, okay. six because he's dressed right, like he's wearing, and they get yeah. That's and that's that episode is called Sunflowers. And here's the descriptor: a friendly match takes the team to Amsterdam, where one night unlocks truths for many. And I'm like, uh, you guys could have described that better, but okay. Because essentially, in that episode, you know, Beard acquires drugs for them to take. I think it's like, is it mushrooms or is it some kind of tea, ayahuasca, or something? I don't know. You get as you can tell. I don't know drugs, so I'm not helpful in trying to explain yeah. what they took, <laughs> but they put it in like hot liquid. <laughs> mm. And so it's because it's in the and so Ted drinks. He Ted's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it because Ted's so straight edge. It hurts. And like then eventually like and 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 you know, as Ted's sort of wavering of like, I can't do this. I can't do this. Beard's like downed it all. And is like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> like, peace, brother. 
<laughs> and then mm-hmm. um and then Ted's like still back and forth and then he takes a sip and then it's like unlocks this whole thing and he wanders and he ends up at this American restaurant where like the food is atrocious and each like there's like each room is a different city but it's called by like the windy city the big apple not by the actual city name and then and then he has this huge revelation of how to unlock sort of this like uh soccer block that they have while playing um and then beard gets dropped off and goes man ted it's a good thing you didn't take it i felt nothing and ted's like what <laughs> what do you mean nothing happened <laughs> i was I... dang coach beard Coach Beard is a field of, or like a well of all kinds of things we don't know. And if they were to do a spinoff show, I'd be so curious because what, what else would we learn about Coach Beard? Right. (laughs) And I still feel like we haven't covered everything, but. I know. That's why there's surprises. I know. And like, we're, we're just like, I'm like, okay, let's just talk about all the relationships on the show. Yeah. That's the part I grabbed on to. Okay, so then let's what's your do you have a favorite episode? I do. Hold on. Let me look it up so I get it right. Oh god, this is actually really hard because I love Okay. This is a hard question. Okay. I love the episode where Roy's retired has, we, he, we know he's retired and he is coaching his niece's soccer team. Love that episode. Okay. We're going to do this by season because we're, we just are. (laughs) Okay. I love the episode in season one. For the children, which is the episode I we which has the incident we referred to earlier, where Rebecca approaches mm-hmm. um, Keely and is like, "Keely, I have to be honest with you. Jamie had two plus ones. You are one of them, and the other gal who bit on him is the other one. And I'm very sorry that I'm telling you this late in the game, because I felt like that was such a pivotal episode in terms of how the relationships changed for so many people on that show." And kind of sent us into the trajectory that we went down in season one. So that's my favorite episode in season one. I also love the episode where um, it's called "Make Rebecca Great Again," where oh, they're uh huh, where they're I think they're in Manchester, right? And Ted meets Sassy for the first time. Oh, Mario, I'm sassy. just gonna, I'm just, Sassy's so great. Sassy is uh, Rebecca's best friend. For those who don't know, she is fantastic. She's a child psychologist and literally gives no fucks. And I love her, but she's tasteful about it. Like she's not like uh, a wrecking ball ruining people's lives. She's constructive. Mm-hmm. She's friendly. She's got this warmth to her. That's just fantastic. But then also after that episode, episode eight, where they're in the pub and they're trying to like, like we find out Rupert has purchased like part of the club back because he, but he, it's not in his name. It's in his girlfriend's name who also happens to be named Rebecca and is probably 20 years younger than our Rebecca. Um, And then Ted's like, 
guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to swindle that motherfucker out of showing up to any game. So that way you boss don't have to be bothered by him. So those are the ones that I love in season one. What about you? In season one, my probably my favorite one is Trent Cram's The Independent. Oh my God, kinda, that's such I, a good episode. That's the one where he follows him around. Like yes. that's probably my favorite episode in season one. Yeah. Uh, season two, I have two. Uh, Carol of the Bells, which is the Christmas oh, episode. Oh, so good! That episode we, is so good. Where we find out all the all the orphans they call him to come over to um, Hickens's house. Yes, and then um, Rebecca delivers like the presents and stuff. Yeah, um, and then Rainbow. That's the one where Coach, where Roy becomes a coach, and yeah, that's a great montage. Mm-hmm. Running montage. That's Such a great a episode, episode too. Mm-hmm. And then I, I don't. Is it? I think it's Headspace is the one where we where the whole confrontation between Jamie and his dad and then we get the infamous Roy and Jamie hug. Yes, I think you're right. Yeah. So those probably those three in season two. Season three, oh, this one's a hard one because there were so many good episodes. So and you know what? Um, season three got dragged by people. People hated season three. I don't know why. I thought it was really good, but I thought it was good too. It doesn't have the same magic as season one, but that doesn't mean it's not a good season. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me your season three favorite. Yeah. Um. Dang. I I would probably say uh, Amsterdam the sunflowers. Sunflowers. So the Amsterdam one. It's a great episode. Yeah, where we meet, yeah. Where like kind of everybody kind of does their thing. Mm-hmm. That's the infamous roy and jamie bike lesson too which is kind of cool so good so um and then the finale the finale i think did really well Mm -hmm. wrapping everything up and bringing everything full circle and yeah and the episode one thing sorry go ahead okay um so one thing that i did i was reading was so during the season we have these three guys that are always at the pub and we have this oh club that's run by Oh my god, I May. love those guys. By and May. May. <laughs> I can't believe May we is sweet, sweet old lady who's kind of like the um she's she's the bar, she's the owner, she's the bartender, so she's a she always has some like wise mm-hmm. thing to say to whoever stops by. And we see various characters throughout the season stop at the pub and she always gives them advice and she's always rooting for the team and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um but we really never, I, we never really get the names of the three guys. But if I was reading that on the shares, because in the end she buys a bunch of shares and she gifts them to her, mm-hmm. gifts them to those three guys. But they're all named after flowers. So it's like Basil Primrose, Jeremy Blumeth, and Paul Lafleur. And I guess somebody said that May's last name is May Green. So it was like she was like the gardener. Oh, I love she would take care of these guys yeah and just kind of like you know the gardener and the flowers kind of thing and i was like oh my gosh yeah that kind of, that makes a lot of sense because mm-hmm. you know throughout season she would take care of guys and when they were being dumb she knocked sense into them and mm-hmm. give them the wise words and all that stuff so it's just like oh so beautiful like just to like think like somebody thought of that yeah yeah <laughs> that's the thing about ted lasso is like you can watch it once and enjoy it 
but then if you continue to watch it, like if it becomes, for me, it's like a comfort thing, right? Like when the world is a dumpster fire and I'm just like, I can't handle the news anymore. I turn on Ted Lasso because it feels good. It like makes me feel good. And it reminds me that, you know, there are decent people in the world, even if they are fictional and you just get something new every single time out of it because they were so thoughtful with how they addressed everything. And I don't know if they were intentionally thoughtful or if that's just the way that the team worked. You know what I mean? I, I agree. <laughs> Mario, nobody like, could see you nodding your head yes. <laughs> I always forget. <laughs> I keep forgetting. Yeah. <laughs> In season three, I think I agree with you about Sunflowers. That is definitely one of my favorite episodes. I love that episode so much. But I also, so the episode that when we were talking about uh, Isaac and Colin um, and their friendship and Colin sort of like, like Isaac sort of finding out that Colin is gay, that's episode nine. Um, so if anybody wants to specifically watch that episode, but I encourage you all to just watch the entire series in order because it's great. I also kind of love the callback. So um, I think it's season four where Edwin Okofu Episode comes- four? No, season two. <laughs> I was like, season four, it's sucking my hopes up. I know, right? Season two, where Edwin Akofu comes and he's like, Rebecca, I want to buy I, this terrible. I shouldn't even try to do the accent. I'm like so far removed from being like a true African Nigerian. from the continent, right? <laughs> Nigerian. Um, and, but like Edwin Akofu comes up and he's like, I would like to buy Sam Obasanya's contract. Sam Obasanya, come play for Nigeria, be a Nigerian, be a true Nigerian and play for Nigeria kind of stuff. And then like, that's when Sam's like, you know, I'm not ready to leave England yet. And he's kind of in the mix, mix up with like, he's in this, that's when he's in the middle of his relationship with Rebecca and they're trying to figure out what they're doing. And then I love that they brought him back in season three. Like, I, I appreciate how this show is, like, we did something in season one and it shows up again later. Or we did something in season two or in a different episode. It's not just, like, a dropped-off situation because life's not like that either, right? Like, things come back. There are one-off situations that we are we find ourselves in. But, like, I love how they're constantly bringing back these little things because the world of elite athletes is really small. Yep, I get that. No, it was a great show. And I think, I definitely think, let's talk award season. So awards yes. season will be coming up. I think we do see a lot of nominations. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any predictions? I'm, I'm hoping, I think, I think Roy, of course, mm-hmm. Brett Goldstein will get his nom. I think Rebecca, I think Ted. Um, I'm hoping Phil Dunster gets some, some kind of nom because I think he really did a an amazing job this season and he had a little bit um, more screen time this season too yeah yeah so um yeah so that's my hopes um it's always hard because it's like for comedy series there's so much good comedy out there right now so it's like mm-hmm. it's such a tough category i could see them winning because it was the last season and sometimes shows like yeah. to honor that yeah um so yeah i've definitely those awards i think will be up there so come emmy time come golden globe time it's gonna be interesting to see too how the writer's strike affects award season true because ted lasso has been done for a while like that we've mm-hmm. known from the gossip columns um 
but there are writers who write those shows. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm saying I want the writer strike to last that long because award season is still like four months away. When are the Emmys? September? September. So they usually announce them in July, I think. Yeah. So July is a month away. I mean, they'd still they'd still uh, announce the nominations. Do the nominations, they just, yeah. They just wouldn't have a show. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the what was it that just what award show just was it the Tonys? Did they oh no, the Tonys are usually in June. But well, I thought there was the, there was a show that they didn't want people to go to because even though they were nominated, I forget what show just happened. Oh, um, the MTV Awards. Was that one? Yeah, because Drew Barrymore backed out. She's like, in solidarity yeah. with the writer strike, I'm not gonna do this. And I, mm-hmm. I actually don't. Did the show still go on? I, it wasn't aired. I don't think it was aired. I don't remember because I remember thinking, I, you know, I do because it was right when the writer strike started. It was mm-hmm. literally like the writer strike started Tuesday, the first Tuesday in May, and then the MTV Awards were literally that Sunday. So like, I was like, this feels icky. I don't think I want to watch it <laughs> because mm-hmm. we were in the beginning of the. Of, I mean, it, the whole thing still feels icky. Let me just throw that out there, like please stop telling people that anybody can write. That is not true. Mm -hmm. And Ted Lasso, I think is a really good example of having strong professional writers be the creator, be, you know, the, in the room doing their job in a way that is giving us a beautiful story that has an amazing arc through all three seasons. Yeah. Pay writers (laughs) what they deserve. Yep. And it's always when people when people tell me, oh, anybody can write. It's always the people who are the worst at writing, you, even in their emails. You're just like, do you not? OK, yeah, anyone can write. <laughs> Mario, I appreciate it when you come to the show. I appreciate when you like when I frantically text you. Oh, my God we have to record in a couple of days because the finale is this day and you're like i'm down i can do it this day i appreciate you so much for that can you please tell everybody i should actually also appreciate you for something other than uh, an act that serves me i also appreciate your honest reviews on instagram because a lot of times if i haven't seen something yet i read that first to make the determination if i will see it so can you tell everybody where they can find you and support you uh, you can find me on Instagram at Movies with Mr. Mario, where I do movie and TV reviews of things I'm watching and then share the latest entertainment news from the industry. So it's summer movie blockbuster season right now and June is stacked. So. But like, I'm so excited for Spider-Man. Like I keep looking at all the, and I'm just like, how am I going to fit this all in? Did you, did you sign back up for your unlimited? So you I did. I did. Yeah. It's like that is an expense I need to keep because I do not want to pay twelve fifty every time I want to see a movie because I will probably be at the movie theater every weekend. <laughs> yes. Ted Lasso is so heartwarming and seems to be affecting sports and how coaches manage. There's a really great episode from the University of Denver's Radio Ed about the Ted Lasso effect. It's linked in our show notes so you can take a listen if you want to.
they really dive into the culture of hazing, how the world really does affect team culture, not just how do we build team culture around this sport, but how does the outside elements of the world, when we talk about gender and race, equity and equality, all of those things affect team culture. And and in that in the interview, they really dive into it. It was really interesting. I highly recommend you take a listen. As a former sports mom, one of the things I hoped for in my child's team experience in his impressionable years was a good coach. So often the children's leagues coaches are volunteers, their parents giving up their time. Some have experience with the sport that they're coaching. Some absolutely do not. And so we were very lucky to have had coaches who knew what they were doing, were focused on sports and the fundamentals to reduce injury, but they also took the time to create a culture that made the kids feel connected as a team and taught them grace in their wins and their losses. The statistics of student athletes going pro is roughly 1%. And as noted in the radio ed episode, teams aren't always talking about culture outside of the team. Again, race, gender, homophobia, etc. What Ted Lasso gives us is a challenge to the athletic culture that includes hazing and horrific behavior. While many elite college athletic programs and professional teams will often make statements refuting bad behaviors, it's hard to take those statements to heart when the culture on those teams is rooted in win, 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 and disregards literally everything else. What Ted Lasso teaches us is that professional athletes deal with the same emotions and challenges as everyone else. And Coach Lasso himself, with his good nature and understanding heart, begins to pierce through the gruff nature that exists within Richmond's clubhouse in the beginning. We see changes in characters like Mario and I had mentioned, but I wanted to touch on Nate a little bit more. So in season three, Nate is realizing that being mean and cruel to people isn't who he wants to be. We often find him reflecting on his time at Richmond and comparing his West Ham relations to those at Richmond. When he finally sees Rupert for who he is, Nate realizes he doesn't have to become the kind of per- this kind of person. It's almost as though he sees two futures and chooses the one where he's part of a community that's loving. Rebecca in the beginning is cold and determined, but over time she realizes the kindness that Coach Lasso embodies has deeply impacted her for the better. So what's interesting to me about Ted Lasso isn't just how we as viewers loved the show and its magic, but how it truly is having an impact on coaching and sports in a meaningful way. At the very least, it's calling into question the culture and how it needs to change, giving us tangible examples. Before we close out the show, I wanted to share some some changes to our Patreon and some exciting news. So as you know, we host a live book club every month and that book club has been um, open and available to anybody who wants to join because I love book clubs and I love it when people want to get together and talk about the same book. One of the perks of being um, a Jelly Pops Patreon best friend club person is that you get to vote on which book we read every month. Starting in July, our live book club We'll go back behind the paywall and will be one of the perks of being a member in our Patreon community. That doesn't mean that you can't read along with us every month anyway. We post everything on social media at Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous on TikTok and Instagram, at Jelly Pops Books on Instagram, and Jelly Pops Book Club on TikTok. 
So with all of that said, we are also launching a new show. It's going to be called the Jelly Pops Book Club podcast. We'll get into book to screen adaptations and other bookish content. It's coming soon wherever you find your podcasts. So hopefully by the time this show airs, you'll be able to find us on Apple. You can already find us on Spotify. If you listen through iHeartRadio, hopefully you'll be able to find us there too. And also look for us on Amazon Audible. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in y'all. I really appreciate your time today. Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous is produced and edited by me, your host, Julie Washington. And I just want to give a big shout out to our Patreon community for supporting the show. You're literally keeping the show going. We cannot do it without you. And we are so grateful to you. And we hope that you are enjoying all of your fun perks. It is the month of June and happy hour is back. So be sure to check our Patreon for those details. In the meantime, thanks for tuning in, y'all.